listen, I, I want to tell you before I read the scripture, I want to t- kind of give you an update on something that I think is really important. Uh, Chris talked about the pledging. This is something that we're doing going into the New Year's. We want to read the Bible together in a year as a church. Um, kind of fun. This year we kind of unofficially did that with a lot of people. And so I set a goal for us to say, let's have 200 people read the Bible together in a year. And um, pretty cool. To, I'm excited to say we've had 128 people sign up. Um, so far. So that's a pretty exciting thing there to have 128. And um, if you haven't done that, I would encourage you to sign up. It, it really will change your life. It'll change your perspective. Uh, if you get up every day and read the Word, and then you have something to talk about um, together, uh, even if you do it as a family or with friends. So there's a sign-up sheet in the, um, in the lobby out there. We're also going to put one on our website, so make it really easy to sign up. And it's very, very easy to do. If you missed the sermon, check it out when I talked about it. So, um, all right. So, with all of your enthusiasm about reading the Bible in the year, I'm going to ask you to stand as I read the Bible. Um, I know y'all are excited. You just don't say amen much here, but we're going to get there after 10 years. I've been trying to get you to look excited, but I know you're excited because you tell me you're excited. All right. Um, Genesis 32, 22 through 28 is where we're going to be today. Genesis 32, 22 through 28. And it says, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives his two female servants and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. And so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, What's your name? Jacob. He answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. This is the word of God for the people of God. Lord, I ask you on the second week of Advent to bless the teaching and preaching of the word and uh, pray that I won't be in the way or a distraction, but that your word can be seen, heard, and experienced. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're in a, uh, if you weren't here last week, we're in the second week of a series in Advent called uh, Roots, and we're looking at the lineage of Jesus Christ. Uh, kind of like you got a lineage, whether you like it or not. We talked about that last week. You got parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents, so on. Some of you are excited about that. Some of you, not, maybe not so much. Um, Jesus has a long lineage of people. Some of them... Um, seem to be pretty good people. Some of them seem to be quite misfits if you look at the story. And so we're kind of walking through it. We uh, started last week by looking, we looked at Jesse. Um, if you remember us talking about Jesse and King David and kind of working through that. This week, we're actually going even further back, almost to the very beginning. Uh, and we're going to look at, as I just read, about Jacob. Now, if you don't know about Jacob, um, Jacob's uh, son was uh, Isaac who was the son of Abraham, okay? So Jacob's son was Isaac, who was, whose son was, um, uh, was the son of Abraham. And uh, Father Abraham had many sons. You all want to do it together? Yeah. Okay, let's do it. Remember, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. <laughs> so let's, yeah, anyway, whatever. All right, so, but you remember the song, Father Abraham, but you got to think about, like, why, why do we sing that? What does that mean, Father Abraham had many sons, and why in the world am I one of them? Well, the reality is we're Gentiles. We're not maybe necessarily direct descendants, you know, of the Jews. Some of you may be Jewish, but most of us are not. Um, but 
if we look at the biblical story, what that means is that it all kind of started with Abraham. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then out of Jacob, we know that Jacob ends up having 12 sons. And if you remember, those 12 sons were the tribes of uh, Israel. Jacob lived around 1600 B.C., and so out of, once again, out of Jacob come these 12 tribes, one of them being Judah, and out of Judah would come Jesus. And uh, I tell you all this to say that Jesus came from a people. He started with a people. He started really all the way back. We go to Jacob, and you think about Israel. You know, Israel has faced, um, Israel, like today, Israel's at war. You know, you and I are sitting here. It's really interesting. You and I are sitting here in the safety of the sanctuary. Israel's at war. And Israel has always been at war, and Israel's always had a struggle. And if you go back, Jacob is the one who they will name Israel. They all come out of Jacob and his lineage. And if you look at Jacob, he's always faced struggles. And, and, um, and all the way from the very beginning of time with him, there was a battle going on. Um, and in fact, if we look at when Jacob was born, if you remember, he was in the womb with his brother. He, was, he had a fraternal twin. His brother was Esau. You guys remember the story of Jacob and Esau. They were in the womb together, and they were even battling in the womb. Um, we know that Esau comes out first. Jacob was born a few minutes later, and he was holding his heel. You know, like, like they were fussing with each other. And, and uh, it, it tells us in Genesis 25, 21 through 23, it says that Isaac prayed the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. And the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. And listen to this, the babies jostled within, he, within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. How would you like that? And two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And so, once again, we know Esau is born first, and Jacob holding on to his, his heel. And uh, from Esau would come the Edomites, and from Jacob would come Israel. And then they get into this conflict over the blessing of their father, if you remember this. You remember Esau was hairy? You remember this story? I, I had to kind of refresh my memory about all, but Esau was hairy. Not really the way you'd want to go down in the Bible, like, oh, I was the hairy guy, right? And everybody knew that, but apparently he was hairy. And uh, he was going to get his father's blessing, and his father's eyesight had gone, gone bad. And so we know what ends up happening is that Jacob's mother ends up putting goat hair on him so that he felt hairy, and then his father felt his arm or whatever, and then um, in the back of his neck, I think is what it says, and then he ends up blessing Jacob instead of Esau. And so there's kind of this battle, this tension that's gone on um, since the beginning of time. And these people, Israel, come out of this, this man who we see just facing this, this battle. It's kind of interesting when I read this that I think about, gosh, a lot of us go through battles and struggles. You mean, you ever go through a struggle? You ever gone through a hardship? And a lot of times when hardship happens, you look at it and you go, well, this is abnormal. This shouldn't be happening to a follower of God. I mean, you ever think that? You go, well, if I follow God, then I'm not going to go through hard times. Reality is, if you follow God, you should go through hard times because the DNA of us as a people has been from the very beginning that we faced hardship and that we faced difficulty. God's people have faced hardship since the very beginning of time. If you look at Israel, I mean, it has been an up and a down and an up and a down and an up and a down to the point where you thought they just weren't even going to exist and be annihilated by the Babylonians and the Assyrians. That's where we started. I mean, the temple was destroyed twice, and so you've got these people. My goodness, then you got Jesus who comes. He doesn't exactly live a life of pleasure. I mean, he ends up dying a gruesome death on the cross. And then us Christians, we kind of sit in our world and we go, well, gosh, I shouldn't face any hardship. It should all be easy. 
I should just be blessed. And you are blessed if you know him, but it doesn't mean that you avoid persecution and hardship because that's kind of the DNA of who we are. I mean, the deal is that God has to use that hardship to mold you and, and, and to form you like Jeremiah 18 says, that he'll form you into his image if you allow him to work on you. Um, if your heart doesn't become hardened where he can't form you. But if you're in the hardship, what I'm telling you right now is that's when God works. He doesn't form you when you're in the, in the good times. Usually in the good times, you kind of forget about God. He gets you to go in the valley because in the valley is when you do the most praying. Amen? You don't pray that much when you're on the mountaintop because you just might say thank you from time to time. But in the valley is when you reach out and he begins to form and mold you. And that's really who the people of God have been. It's through the difficulty that they actually become the people that God wants them to be. Um, you think about Paul. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Uh, he had a thorn. You remember this? We don't know what the thorn was, but he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, listen to this, I love this, My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. Now, listen, I don't know if we do this. This is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, listen, then I am strong. Amen? Right? Now, so the point is that the struggle is not wasted. The struggle should not be wasted. Like, God uses the struggle. In fact, I want you to remind somebody around you, if you would this morning, that the struggle is not wasted. If you'll look at them and just say, hey, Justin just said, struggle's not wasted. Like, listen, let's just say it together. The struggle is not wasted. The struggle is not wasted. You don't want the struggle to be wasted. It's like because God forms you in the struggle. We're not exempted from, or exempt from suffering and trials. It's the exact opposite. It's who we are as the people of God. I always try to remind myself, remind myself of this, of the Romans 8.28 verse. It says that God works all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. He works all things to the good of those who love them. And, and Israel would, once again, go through hardship after hardship, and they would prevail. And then, hey, I already said it, but Jesus comes out of this. Jesus comes out as the Messiah, and he dies on a cross. And everybody thinks that he's defeated. Right? I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just this, I love how the Bible is this story. It looks like of utter defeat, but time and time again, God shows back up and he keeps his promises. He shows back up and he keeps his promises. He shows back up and he keeps his promises. You think he's defeated. You think he's down. You think the people are out, but God keeps his promise. Fact, Jesus says in Matthew 16, he tells us, listen, hey, you want to be my follower? You're going to face hardship. It says in Matthew 16, 24 through 25, Jesus said to his disciples, listen, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Boy, that's not a fun prescriptive verse. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? I guess what I'm saying to you this morning is you have to remind yourself, and I remind myself, when trials hit, you can't go, well, why me? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you should rather go, oh, I understand why me. Because who would the enemy want to hit more than Jesus' followers? I mean, think about that for a minute. Like, there's an enemy out there, right? 
do you believe it? Or do you just kind of think, like, I mean, I'm kind of convinced the world's not really a great place. I mean, it's pretty difficult. There's some good things, but there's an enemy, and the Bible says that his name is Satan and that he roars around like he, he goes around, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so if I'm Satan and I'm looking for someone to devour, am I going to go after the people that don't believe in Jesus? I would go after the other army. And it's what he's done time and time again that evil has tried to prevail against Israel, but Israel has prevailed because Israel is God's people. And God has a special love for Israel. And he has a special love for us, the Gentiles, now that we are his chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. And he'll take care of us even when we feel defeated. Uh, thinking about our history, we're a people who come from a battle in a womb. I remind you of that today. We're a people who come from a man named Joseph who was sold into slavery. We are a people who were enslaved by the Egyptians. We are a people whose, river, whose leader was put in a river in a basket, and God still rescued him. We are a people who faced plague after plague but still prevailed. We're a people who've been attacked by the Babylonians and the Assyrians. We're a people whose temple was destroyed twice. We are a people whose God was born into very humble circumstances with no room to stay. We are a people whose parents were refugees during the onslaught of Herod. We are a people whose God grew up as a perfect human being, only to be beaten, spit upon, crown of thorns, put on his head, and crucified on a cross. And then we are a people whose church was formed and Christians began to face persecution, and the persecution hasn't stopped and won't stop until the day that Jesus comes back and really kicks some tail. I mean, that's how the story ends. But the point is that God has not abandoned us, and he won't abandon us, and this is the story of his people, and that he's a redemptive God who rescues and restores and rights all wrongs. And the verse that I always remember, try to remember, is 1 Peter 5.10. says this, 1 Peter 5.10 says, The God of all grace, who called you to eternal glory in Christ, says, After you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. That's a good word right there. So what I'm telling you today is don't give up. Dig deep. Trust in him. Follow him. Seek him. Know that you come from a line of people who have faced difficulty over and over again, but he's a God who's in the business of redemption. He not only redeemed Israel, but he'll redeem us through his son, Jesus Christ, to take hope, fight the good fight, stand firm, keep your guard, be alert, be of sober mind. Remember your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And don't forget to wrestle or wrestle, as we say in the South, however you want to say it, but wrestle Wrestle with God because he loves you and he wants to get your attention. Let God mold you. Let him form you. The struggle is not wasted. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I'm going to invite us into a time of prayer. I'm going to invite you, if you want to come up to the altar today to pray, we'd love to have you come up and pray. Um, while I'm praying, I'm going to invite up two of our pastors, Grover and Chris. They're going to serve us communion today. And as we come to this table, there's no better time than just to come lay it down and ask the Lord to give you courage or joy or whatever it is that you need today. So um, let's go to the Lord right now in prayer as a church. Oh, Father God, the struggle is real, but so are you. Nothing is wasted in your kingdom if we don't allow it to be, Lord, if we allow you to work on us and melt us and mold us into the people of God. Thank you for these people called Israel who have persevered under extreme trial and persecution. We pray for them today, the nation of Israel, as they are at war. We pray, Father, that we as the 
your chosen people, a royal priesthood now, those who follow you and seek you. We pray that you'll give us the strength to sustain anything that we face. Pray for encouragement for this congregation. Pray for those who are down or downtrodden, Father, that they can turn to you and lift their eyes to the joy and hope that's in you, Jesus. We know none of this is possible without the Holy Spirit, so I pray that the Holy Spirit is ever so present today and readily available for those who will call upon it by confessing Jesus as their Savior, repenting of their sin, and following after you, Lord. As we come to this table, I pray that we flood these kneeling rails, and as we receive communion, we remember it's a time to ask for forgiveness, to start over, and to come together as one body of Christ. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.